Welcome to the Experience Cafe. Today, I'm really pleased to have Danish Aziz with us uh, to kind of explore the topic of agility and how do you kind of embed that in an organization. Everyone's, it's a very topical discussion today um, and you're one of the experts in the field. So maybe with that, Danish, would you kind of give us a quick intro around um, what about your background and who you are? I'd be delighted to. So I began my career uh, as a glorified accountant um probably wasn't the career I was meant to follow. And after many years of an enjoyable career in finance, I decided to go to business school. Uh, there I discovered technology and customer experiences were my passions. Uh, and so I'd made the decision to go back into product delivery in industry for a few years. And then began a career in consulting, uh, management consulting, where agility and product delivery has become my core passion. So it's the thing I care about the most. I believe that the future is more unpredictable and uncertain than ever before. Therefore, you need to work in a slightly more adaptive and iterative way. And whether it's a small team trying to deliver a great customer experience or an enterprise trying to adapt to change, I think you have to adopt a very different mindset to do that. And that's what I help clients do. Fantastic. So a significant transition from accountancy to, to agility. I like it. Well, yeah. I mean, two very different worlds. Accountancy is predicated on predictability, which is this is what the future will look like based on a, a very forward-looking plan. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's difficult when things are changing very quickly. And so there's nothing wrong with the predictability or unpredictability as my two halves of my career. But it's being able to appreciate those two different contexts, which is what I help clients do. Fantastic. Well, with that note, tell me uh, two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. So I um, never wanted to be a management consultant. I lived in nine countries before I was 30. And I've broken both my legs playing rugby. I'm going to go you've broken both legs in rugby as your lie. I should have said 10 countries now because it was I lived I've lived in nine. Um it's 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 the country's one. Uh Oh right. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've broken I, both your legs. I have broken both my legs. That's really unfortunate. Yeah. It is unfortunate. Still play. <laughs> and you uh, <laughs> Are you taller now? Um probably shorter than I than, <laughs> than I probably was in years gone by. So. And and you've always wanted to be a management consultant? Um I said I never wanted to be oh, a management sorry, consultant. Oh, sorry, you never turned yeah. that wrong. Yeah. yeah, so I've ended up being a management consultant completely by accident, like, but I've been one now for about nine years. So I think I can stop pretending that I'm not one. So, so I've obviously seen a lot and got a lot of exposure. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. So um, a huge variety in the kinds of clients and experiences uh, that I've gone through. So each of them, I think, has helped me learn you know, how to do the job better and has definitely given me a very kind of, I think, rounded perspective on the topic of agility because you see it in everything that we do with, with every single client. I was about to say, that's probably a great starting point on the topic that says, so everyone's, you know, based on my experience of talking to clients, everyone's kind of read about Spotify and how they've created chapters and how everyone, I think, realizes the importance of being agile in terms of product development, especially in the digital world. Mm -hmm. um, and some great examples, you know, of uh, people really setting the benchmarking industry around doing product releases every 10 seconds you know, just unheard of, you know, decades ago. Um, so kind of why, 
why is Italy becoming so topical and why is it so important for, for clients these days in terms as broad context before we, we dive into it? Great question. So um, the reason it's more relevant now than ever before is because there is a huge amount of unpredictability, uncertainty, and most of all, complexity in how you deliver experiences to customers. Um, I think the last few years in particular has shown that, right? The world you, we see around us today is completely different to the one we would have predicted two or three years ago for, for obvious reasons. And so with that comes a, um, a willingness to or, or a realization that planning isn't a bad thing in itself, but you need to be able to adapt as things are changing around you. And so whether it's the complexity of delivering hardware or software, which has literally an infinite number of permutations and combinations in, in what and how you deliver something, or the uncertainty of what customers want, um, you know, a huge amount of experimentation in how will customers receive this experience? Should it be through this channel or that channel? How often should I release something? Um, or the unpredictability of market conditions, COVID being a really good example where firms have had to really adapt their business models and think about how they deliver value to customers. So the reason enterprise agility is now so relevant is because that complexity, that uncertainty, that unpredictability is just gonna increase more and more and more. And so to deliver in that kind of environment, you need to think in a very, very different way. And I believe that operating models built for uncertainty are, the, are the, the, the standard to follow in years to come. Doesn't mean it's a one size fits all. So um, where you're doing things that are very predictable, you should follow more traditional and sequential ways of working and predictive ways of working. But that's why it's irrelevant now. Excellent. Yeah, and, and I guess the one, one certainty is level of uncertainty going forward, uh, as we've all experienced in the last 24 plus months. Um, so if everyone's kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, right? So we all, we've all read the book around how Spotify is done. Everyone's trying to replicate that, but well, okay. So, so uh, but obviously some people are succeeding and others are not. You know, what are the biggest mistakes or biggest <coughs> issues you see clients running into or organizations for that matter um, as they're trying to adopt this concept of agility? So before we get into the, the, the mistakes they make, I think, you know, on your point about, you know, trying to copy certain models, uh, I believe that's usually a bad path to go down because that context of, of the context of that organization and the choices they made is completely different to the ones, the context that your organization works in and the choices you have to make. And I believe enterprise agility is about making brave choices in you know your strategy, but also operationalizing your strategy. Do I believe that things are going to change? Therefore, do I have the setup around me that adapts to that change moving forward? Um, now, in terms of the the, the the pitfalls, I think the, the the most traditional or the ones I see most often are a belief that says um, everyone has to work a certain way, right? So. Uh, if small teams are the building block of an agile organization because they respond to change, everyone's now going to work in a small team. And you're all going to use uh, a very popular adaptive iterative framework like Scrum. And we're going to give you a playbook and tell you how it should be. And you're going to follow that playbook till the end of time. And if you do that, we will all succeed. We will all be agile. And we will all be agile. Right. And, um, or we will do agile, which I think is a, is a problem as well. So. Uh, this kind of one-size-fits-all perception 
is exactly the kind of, of mindset we want to move away from, which is production line thinking that says everything needs to work in exactly the same way so we can you know, strip out cost, be as efficient as possible. I believe the organization of the future is about effectiveness, not, not always 100% efficiency, uh, because you need a little bit of slack in the system to respond to change. Uh, so th I think that's probably the biggest pitfall is the belief that there's a one size fits all. If I, if I do these things, I will have become agile. I believe it's a about a, a big shift in mindset that says, I believe the, f the future is uncertain and therefore I will behave in different ways in different ways. Um, and that starts from the very top of the organization. So I, I believe leaders have a huge role to play in building the adaptive complex systems that respond to change as opposed to telling teams what to do. Um, and so just a yeah, quick go so, so what are some of the ways that um, leaders in organizations can demonstrate? Because I've seen a lot of grassroots agility kind of agile type initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, and typically you know, in, in, in our business, you see that in you know product digital product squads being spun up within the context of a broader organization. Um, but if you're going to get the top to bottom alignment um, and and instill that agile culture, which I think is what you're referring to, absolutely. What what are some of the things you would expect to see from senior leaders um, to to support that culture and that change? Uh, to um, to 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 live the values that they espouse, right? So. Often you get the situation where it will be a case of, right, we want to become an agile organization. I'm going to mobilize small teams on the ground and I want you to, to behave in um, or, or work in collaborative, non-cross-functional -func uh, teams, you know, non-siloed teams. Mm -hmm. But me, we as a leadership team will not do any of that. We will continue to work in our silos uh, and we will not, you know, this, I won't talk to the CFO. He's not going to talk to the COO. We're just going to have our little fiefdoms. Um, so you really have to start walking the walk uh, as opposed to just talking the talk. And so I believe that an agile organization is is fractal. Uh, you know, if you look at any level of the organization, you see different people from different backgrounds and different skill sets coming together to solve business problems. And I believe leaders have to role model the behaviors at the very top of the organization to then instill the right kind of behaviors at, at you know, at the, at the coal face where work is actually delivered. So, and that's difficult to do because we are living in a world of, um, you know, huge momentum in working a certain way, predictive ways of working. Mm. IBM is one of them, right? We've been around for 110 years, but along the way, we've made some really brave choices, right? We've we've and we've created and exited certain industries in, in those 110 years. We choose to go down paths now in areas where there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether they will ever gain any economic value to end customers but we do it because we believe there's something there and we have to you know uh, try things before we find out what's going to work or not and so it's it's very difficult for large organizations to to be agile uh, and to role model the behaviors that they want the rest of the organization to follow but i would just look to young firms so think any tech native firm now they don't often refer to any agile framework they don't talk about being adaptive or iterative, but you just see it in their belief system. They know that what they're building is highly complex. So you can't tell teams what to do, but you can tell them what you're trying to achieve and let them decide what they want to do about it. Um, they can't decide what customers want, so they will try lots of different things. And so they will try in experiments that will succeed, but also experiments that will fail. 
And do you have the courage to turn things off if they're showing you that there's not there's no value there? And, and I believe a lot of firms don't have that courage. Um, and then there's a lot of unpredictability in just market conditions as a whole. And as industry lines blur, are you willing to make a brave choice about the future of your industry as opposed to making your current setup more efficient? And so, uh, you know, th th these are all the brave choices that firms have to make. And it's really, really hard because we're coming from over 100 years of history that says the future is predictable and you should you should plan it perfectly and then execute it because that's how, you, how you'll succeed. So, so, so something that, that kind of comes to mind is that to what extent is that driven through externalities and expectations? So if you're a public listed company, you're, you're expected to deliver quarterly results. You expect it to be predictable in, in, in your earnings forecasts and your, your revenue, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And almost there's a... Um, sort of a what's the word i'm looking for contradiction there um between what the market expects predictability uh, and uh versus the reality is uncertain right mm -hmm. uh, and then to your point your leadership team are having to report into to stakeholders and shareholders to project predictability mm -hmm. in a world that's very uncertain and therefore you kind of got this um contradiction um, yeah it, it, i think I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a contradiction. I think they're things you have to balance, right? So um, there are parts of your business that are you know, very mature, been around for a long time, and they will form the bedrock of your quarterly earnings results, your forecast for the future. And, and you know, even the most predictable industries often get it wrong and the market reacts, right? So you're, you're, you're implying that um, you know, all quarterly forecasts you know, from all firms are always accurate, and they're not. And, and that's that's my point: is is that things do change. Mm. So I don't think it's about a, it's not a contradiction. It's saying here are the things that I think are going to happen over the next you know four quarters. Um, there is some margin of error in there. Here are the experiments that I'm running over the next quarter, you know, for uh, next year to understand the future of our industry moving forward. And you know every quarter will give you a view on on how that's that's how that's changing. So, I think the market expects plans to be flawed, and they expect um, you to come back based on feedback in a short cycle that says, "Here's what the path looks like now." So, th there's a very fine balance between very forward-looking planning, which I think is really important, but also with an operation that says our plan's probably wrong the minute we publish it. So we should you know fine-tune as we go along. And that requires a huge amount of discipline, huge amount of courage, and an operating model that allows that to happen. And most of the clients I work with, there is literally no room for a maneuver beyond the plan that was committed to a while ago. Now that's perfectly fine in a predictable environment, but but that becomes a a rod for your own back in situations where there's a lot, you know, high amount of volatility. Yeah, and that becomes a huge constraint in terms of the change in the culture. Exactly. Right? And it almost takes courage at the board level to, to kind of accept there's a level of uncertainty um, and to change that culture, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe shifting a little bit in terms of, so in this new agile world, as you drive an agile culture, what's the most important skills as an individual to cultivate or cultivate at the individual level, either personally or at the organization level from an enterprise perspective? That's a great question. I think the skills to be developing are um, awareness of your context. So 
you know, as, as I mentioned in our conversation earlier, there are times where more sequential, predictive ways of working are fantastic. If you're building a house, building it in a super agile way is not always a good idea because there's some level of predictability in what you want the house to do, how it's been done before, it's been done a billion times before, the skills needed to get the job done. Um, versus uh, building a very bespoke customer experience involving software, hardware, where there's literally never been any combination or permutation of the things that you're putting together to deliver to an end customer. So I think the most important skill is the realization of which of those two contexts you're in. Because um, I don't think it's about being very good at just you know, design thinking, which I think is really important because you're putting the customer at the heart of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Or about you know product ownership, you know b building a roadmap for a, a product as it evolves over time, or you know Scrum mastery, helping teams work in an iterative and adaptive way to the principles that adhere to uh, the belief that the future is uncertain and is, is, is going to change. So all those skills are really important, but I think the most important skill is just realizing, well, hang on, is what I'm trying to do fairly predictable or is it not? And and that's a great place to start any kind of agile journey because then you're you're setting yourself up for your context. You mentioned earlier about you know digital native friends releasing a million times a second. That's great, but that's that's their business model, right? So if if I work in in um, in social media and and advertising is my business model, the number of eyeballs I engage is how I make money. So it is I am incentivized to release things a billion times a second because I have to discover what gets the most eyeballs as fast as I possibly can before someone else does. Versus, um, I don't know, you work in uh, insurance. It's not an eyeball business. It's a, it's a, it's a risk underwriting business. And so the, the skills that you're trying to describe that might be useful in an agile context, it's not about a skill or a way of doing things. It's all about context. And so, I think that's the key skill I would I would encourage others to, to grow is awareness of what kind of, of work you're trying to deliver. Fantastic. Thanks, Anish. So let's quickly switch so gears. I have some, some questions for you which I'm, to get a bit more insight into you. Sure, sure, sure. So rapid fire, choose one or the other. You, you need to choose one. Morning or evening? Morning. Diet or exercise? Exercise. Email or chat? Chat. Yes or perhaps? Perhaps. Consumer Electronics or Wimbledon? Wimbledon. Disruption or transformation? Transformation. Cloud or GDPR? Cloud. Video or phone call? Video. Consult or direct? Consult. Speed or accuracy? Accuracy. <laughs> ah. One of my previous guest speakers believed you could do both. And maybe in an agile I was going world. down that path as well. I was like, can I have both? But yeah, anyway. But, but, well done for choosing. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, if we switch gears a bit now in terms of, you know, one of the things we all learn from is our failures. Uh, and that, that, that's where the, the kind of the biggest lessons learned and takeaways. Um, it's curious around in terms of your experience, you know, you, you you described how you've taken the journey from accounting to, to management consulting and, and some of the breadth you've had. What are some of the, what's one of the biggest failures you've had personally that kind of informed your choices and, and things that you do and how you consult with your clients? 
So I'll give you I'll give you two. I'm going to cheat. Um, one is a, is a very uh, you know or fairly recent one at the beginning of my consulting career, where for a client we were asked to deliver a a, a experience, um, and we did it in a way that's possibly the worst way to ever build something that complex, um, that deeply rooted in a very traditional way of, of banking. And essentially, it just meant we ate about six months of pain trying to get it done. Now, in the end, we got her across the line. But I often refer back to that one experience of trying to deliver a bespoke experience that no one had ever built before, highly complex, involving many different parts of the client organization. And I literally think, how could we not do it the way we did it that way? Was it on PowerPoint? <laughs> no, it was a working software application. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I firmly believe that in a in an agile world, you learn a lot from your mistakes more than you do from your successes. So um, I believe the best agilists out there are the ones that have the scars and the experience to be able to say, we tried it that way once and it worked, or we tried it that way once and it didn't work, as opposed to um, you know, here's the textbook's definition of how we should do things. So. In that instance, I, I wish I could turn back time and go back and do it all over again because I, we literally made every mistake you possibly could. The scope of the product was too big. It was fixed time, fixed scope. Um, we didn't have the dedicated uh, team members from the client to get the job done. Uh, just literally every mistake you could possibly make, we piled on top of each other. And then by the end of it, it just meant ridiculously long hours, unsustainable hours. Now in the end, we were successful but I would literally point to it as, a, as an example of how not to deliver a bespoke product or experience to an end customer. And how, how would you have done it now that you know what you know different? How would you have done it differently? I would have started much smaller with our ambition. So we would have sliced the product and the way we delivered it in a very, very different way. We would have released and gotten feedback more often. Uh, we didn't have a release of the product right until the end of the six months, and we should have been releasing once every you know, few weeks. Um, we we let the pervasive culture of the client dictate our timeline when we should have been the ones saying, well, we've discovered the problem is more complex than we thought. Therefore, this is what we think we can do in that time. Uh, and so, yeah, lots of different examples of how we would have done things differently. Yeah. I think we, we even tried at some at one point to you know, have a, a core team of around, I think it was 25 people. That was a huge mistake, way too big a team. Too many stakeholders, too many cooks, too many inputs. Should have focused on a smaller team of people that could get the job done. So yeah, lo lots of mistakes. Um, the other failure that I was going to talk about was um, I, I, f I felt I decided to go to business school way too late in my life. Um, business school was a time where I discovered more about who I was and what I wanted to do. And I felt, I don't think it's a failure, but I, I definitely could have just made the brave choice to go to business school earlier in my life because it just would have, you know, I just feel it would have accelerated my learning journey. Um, and so there were a few years <coughs> in between kind of my earlier accounting career and business school where I was drifting. And I guess the lesson I've learned from that is uh, you know, really take the opportunity when it presents itself. Don't don't get too comfortable. Always push the edge of what you're learning, uh, and that's always going to be a rewarding place to be. Excellent. So, so um, challenge yourself to be in a continuously learning. Don't they just solve exactly? 
um, get into a comfort zone and, and be complacent. And because uh, I also, the, the other counter is the people with more life experience tend to have more to offer in business school context. I don't know, given that you maybe chose point. to go later, I don't know if you had more value to add in, the, in, in, those, uh, in that context than that discussion. I think that's a really good point, actually. And, and maybe that's why it's more of a regret than a failure. You're right. If I had gone to business school earlier, I would have had less to offer my fellow classmates. Your currency in those kind of situations is the experience that you bring. So I would have been a lot poorer if I'd gone earlier in terms of what I could have shared, but I would have, I would have but yeah. increased my, my wealth and knowledge. You could have been the sponge. I could have been, but yeah. Um, yeah. in the end, you know, you, you make choices. It's better to look forward than to look back, but um, it's just something I, I reflect on every now and then about. Your day job is helping companies, you know, become agile. Um, and what you've just said there around, effectively, there's two segments of um, the market, if I can call it that, between companies born in the last 20 years versus, you know, legacy companies have been around for, you know, 20 plus hundreds of years and making that transition. Where do you think um, the, if I call them incumbents are in terms of that journey, you know, are we all, are they all practice or, you know, where, where are we in the spectrum from your perspective? So, so agility is hard earned, right? It takes a long time. If you, if you're coming from a, a a history of thinking and behaving in a different way. And so I think even the most mature firms that have been doing this for you know seven, eight years and have gone through large scale change programs still have quite a long way before they realize the value behind it because deeply entrenched within their, their change programs are behaviors and beliefs that say the future is predictable. And, and so I think it takes a really, really long time. Um, and it, it means leaders have to have the patience and the courage to be able to say agility isn't as simple as telling people how to work or working a certain way. It's about a system that is iterative and adaptive and a strategy that continues to look out to the world and, and, and try to realize what is the place of my organization in delivering value to customers in years ahead. So I would say very few are doing it really well at scale because they're only just now coming out of, or they're just now coming out of the, the more cosmetic phases of change. Whereas now they have to think about more deep-seated behaviors and things they have to change to adjust them, such as leadership behaviors, incentives, um, technology stacks that finally they've decided need to be uh, replaced by platforms that allow experimentation and iteration in, in small cycles. So I think very, very few firms who have gone through large-scale change have realized the value behind it. And I think the next 10 years will you know, is where they start to make the really meaningful changes. And how do they keep going. How do you know you're, you're succeeding and you're actually moving forward and, and progressing as opposed to doing a lot of activity for no yield or no benefit? That's a, a question we get often and a really difficult one to answer, but I'll, I'll have a go. Um, if the future is unpredictable, I would argue that one measure of agility, and it's not the only one, is um, what proportion of revenue are you making from New, new areas of your business, so areas that are small but growing fast. Uh, another way to measure success is how long does it take me to get an idea to the market? So is your cycle time uh, short and does it get fast feedback so that you can make a brave choice to either carry on or to kill that experiment? Um, and then another measure of success, I believe, is also the, the people behind that work. So. Uh, 
measuring employee engagement and um, hearing from your employees how they feel about the operating model and their place in it and the fact that they are working in a way that allows them to really be creative and expressive, I think is, is another me measure of success. So it's a very difficult thing to measure. I think it's around business value. It's around um, kind of how effectively and efficiently you work and it's around you know, your people engagement. And in balance across those three areas, if, if, if your um, indicator suggests you're moving in the right direction, you should keep going. If you are struggling in any one of those three areas, then you might want to think about the interventions you want to make. Um, but again, there's, there is no straight line to success here, and you're going to have to try lots of different things to, to move in the right direction. Yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day, you're going to have to adapt or die is another way of thinking about it. Exactly. If you continue to operate in a world that you think is predictable, that's changing around you, if you don't change with it and you don't introduce new products uh, and you don't change, then then you become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So, so oh, sorry. You were what was the other area that we would just talked about in the in the break? That was something else we talked about. I can't remember what it was now. I don't know, but but what I was going to say is so so you're going to spend the next ten years of your career making companies fantastic at being agile. We've cracked the agility problem. What's what's next? I don't think I th well. I don't think we'll have. Cr I don't think we've cracked it. I don't think any organization has, or any incumbent organization with a history of working a certain way has cracked it. What were we? Yeah. Um, yeah, because time always wins. So uh, if you know, we think about the, the category of large incumbent firms that have been around for a long time versus young firms, um, over time, more and more young firms will pop up. Um, the average lifespan of an S&P listed firm is you know, shorter than ever before. So there will just be a, a churn of firms that do survive or don't survive. And um, I guess as a leader, what I'd be thinking about is, am I making the brave choices to survive, but not just survive, to thrive? You know, how do I really take these waves of change and and really capitalize on them as opposed to just try and hunker down uh, with my existing business model in, in the hope that the world doesn't change? Um, so I don't think we've cracked it. I think time always wins. And the next 20 years are going to be fascinating to see you know, what firms do adapt and which firms don't, and, and what were the brave choices they made along the way. Thanks, Danish. Uh, been really interesting uh, learning about agility and um, some of the challenges. And it sounds like, to summarize, it's, agility is going to be a constant challenge. There is no end point. You don't get there. It's a continuous journey, and you're continuously evolving. I think that's uh, a great insight. That, well, thank Thanks you very much. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Look forward to having you on the couch again soon.